Hi, this is Gabe Moser, and you're listening to Friars on the Farm podcast. Welcome to Friars on the Farm podcast. I'm Donovan. Coming to me live across the country is Roy. Thanks to the wonders of the internet. How are you doing, Donovan? Dude, I, it, it's been, well, you know, while we were, you know, first off, first off, we'll be talking to Josh Emmerich, cross-check and sending a pod race here in about, about 10, 15 minutes. Um, and during our interview with him last night, Russia invaded the Ukraine. So yeah. in non-related baseball news, that happened. Um, and and then kind of a positive thing in the world, uh, I believe it was last night's show that Tool had They'd stop the song mid song to uh, one of their fans. So one of the fans can get the medical attention that they needed and they couldn't be distracted with the show going on. So we stopped it. I saw it on, on um, like loud wire today. Um, they stopped the show for a good 10 minutes, good five, five, eight, 10 minutes. And uh, made sure he got set up, made sure he got taken care of and started the show again. Yeah. I've so. seen a couple of instances like that. So this is kind of a reaction to the Travis Scott thing. And that, that's good. I mean, we need to have compassion for our fellow people. And the reason that it's relevant with Tool, as you heard in our opening music, Josh Emmerich is a huge Tool fan. I'm a huge Tool fan as well. I, he yes. seems a little, even a little more devoted than I am. <clears throat> um, but, you know, Maynard James Keenan, it sounds like he's a good dude. And, you know, when somebody needs help, you need to stop and make sure that they yeah. get help. Yeah. And I, I don't know what's going on with the Travis Scott thing. And it got even uh, just totally on baseball related, but it got into the, Ye, whatever that guy's name is, guy, I, I complained about Taylor Swift, what, what, whatever. I, I don't know if that guy could have stopped his show to help anyone that was getting, I think people ended up dying in that show, right? I'm not, yes. I'm not sure, but like, yes, people I, were getting trampled in. Yeah. Like, dude, I, I've been to shows where whole swaths of people just, just, they just, we just fall down. Um, yeah. So I don't know if, you know, bands would necessarily stop every time that happens, it's, you know, particularly for me, I was in a mosh pit. I don't know if there were moshing with Travis Scott or whatever, but you know, I don't know um, if you mosh to that kind of music, but maybe I guess you can mosh yeah, to anything. Yeah. But anyways, um, let's move on. We're going to be talking to Josh Eric here in a minute. Um, we got an article and once again, major league baseball is just trying to do their best to not pay minor league players. Oh my gosh. This is, this is so disappointing. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not surprising, but it's just disappointing to see it in print, you know? Yeah. And continuing with, you know, with, with the lockout and the negotiations, our lack of negotiations are just maybe one one group in the room of two that are trying to negotiate with uh, a new a CBA. But this comes from Evan Drellich from The Athletic. And uh, Major League Baseball, a lawyer said in federal court last Friday that minor league players should not be paid during spring training because they should be considered trainees. Okay. The argument was part of a broader push by MLB to toss an eight-year-old lawsuit brought by Aaron Seen um, Aaron Sen and other minor leaguers over their compensation. Now, during the training season, the players are not employees and would not be subject to either the Fair Labor Standard Act or any state minimum wage act. Now, if you go back to what they said before in the past, you know, uh, you know Garrett Broch just came, <laughs> came back with um, all of a sudden they aren't employees during the time periods when we call it training, even though they're operating under the same employment contract that requires them to perform services, quote, throughout the calendar year. So all of a sudden, when it's convenient for Major League Baseball to not call them employees, they're not employees, 
They're trainees. Trainees. Well, okay, you've you've worked several jobs in your time on this planet, right? Yes. Have you ever gone to training and not been paid for it? No. And I've made sure that staff that have are in training are getting paid. Yeah, it seems like a pretty fundamental thing that you are people are giving you their time and it's only fair that you compensate them for right. it. And you can't say, "Oh, well they they're earning life skills. We're teaching them, you know, oh, they're taking English classes because right. they're from the Dominican or it doesn't matter." Are they independent contractors competing for a job? I've heard major league baseball, well they're there to compete for a job that well, they're not going to, you know, the, that's not the case. They're not competing this isn't for jobs. The, this isn't the PGA Tour where right. they're they're trying to, to qualify for a tournament every week. It They're under contract. They're under exclusive contract. They're, they're limited to work for one employer in this business. And it's an industry where they don't have other options. That's why Major League Baseball has this whole uh, antitrust exclusion. Um, and, and it's just, ugh. So I... It, it is. And they, they haven't been paid for spring training or the postseason or for uh, fall instructor, whatever, yep. forever. Yep. But it, it doesn't make sense. And and the fact that I didn't even know that this class auction lawsuit's been kicking around for, for several years. This is the original one that started several years ago that, um, you know, Garrett Brush and not more about baseball, but advocates for minor leaguers and a contingent of lawyers for for that group started, you know, trying to argue against the antitrust. So they paid a lawyer $775 an hour to argue against paying a player 2200 bucks. Yeah. So he works what he spends a day and a half working on, you know, working on this case and he's made more money than a minor league player does in a whole summer. Right. Right. 775 bucks is that's, that's a week's work of, of that's a week's pay. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So how does that make it? And and, and poor listeners, man, they're they're probably going to fast forward this because we just beat this to death. But as long as it continues to be an issue, we're going to continue to talk about it. And we're going to continue just trumping out the same old, just stupid. Well, it's, I mean, you got, people have to keep banging the drum. And so thankfully you got people like Evan Drellich. um, And then we've got Brittany Garoli's article here uh, that was also in the athletic about, um, about the, the links that minor league players go to just to make ends meet. And it's, we've, we've gone over it before. We've talked about having six guys living in a two bedroom apartment, somebody sleeping in the kitchen on the floor. Um, you know, people living in their cars, you, the, just the extents that people go to, um, uh, work in multiple jobs in the off yeah. season, um, where it's, it, it isn't like back in the old days in the thirties, where you hear about guys going and getting a job on the farm in the off season, yeah. these guys are expected to be premium athletes when they yeah. show up in spring. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know how you can expect somebody to, to train and live in that kind of condition without paying them at all in the off season with paying them poverty wages during the yeah. season. Absolutely. Now they've finally committed to doing something about housing. Um, and oh. even there's, if there's loopholes in that, that, that policy that could explain right. a wide swath of players. So from right. Brit, from so from Brit's article, you know, this is just one instance. The whole article has several instances of, of players and what they've had to do to uh to maintain just to make money in the offseason. So one double A player worked last offseason at a high-end furniture store, moving heavy couches and dressers, 
He made good money, but his workouts suffered. He didn't get any better at baseball. So this year, he opted to live and train at the team's spring training complex in Arizona. His lodging and some meals are paid for, but since minor leaguers are classified by Major League Baseball as part-time seasonal interns, unquote, he doesn't get paid. By mid-January, his savings were down to $7. He needed to go to the doctor, but couldn't afford the copay. He need- Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about the whole thing about health care. So yeah. somebody has an injury. What if they're training? What if they're out there throwing in the offseason and they have some kind of sports-related injury, yeah. something like that? And it's on them to cover their health care because they're a seasonal employee. They're the word intern. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. Well, it and, you know, in another part of the article where several guys work pretty dangerous stuff, like the one guy was a roofer and he's like, I'm working on the roof and I'm just like praying I don't slip and fall. That could absolutely end my career. And I'm just trying to make ends meet. Yeah. So I don't know if um, one thing that has come out of this is that players have been a little bit more confident to speak out about what their conditions are and, and what they see their peers doing. Yeah. Um, and so somebody in the Padres organization has been particularly vocal. I don't know if you've noticed this, Donovan, Michael Curry on yeah. Twitter and on Instagram, he's been retweeting and sharing what other people have been, have been posting. And he posted a little video clip of a, it's a little screenshot from his W two. And he's like, this is how much money I made in 2021 as a minor league baseball player. And it says that he made what? 11,000 something. It was 11,000. Yeah. So he's married. He has a kid. And that makes me wonder, yeah, as we were speaking a couple of episodes ago with this housing thing. So the housing requires that they have no more than two people per residence. So they can have an apartment or a hotel room, whatever, with two players. Well, what about a guy like him? He's got a wife and a kid. I, I guess the team doesn't need to be responsible for housing the wife and the kid. But what if they want to travel along with him? You know, they right. want to come out to say he's going to go to San Antonio. And so she says, OK, let's get an apartment in San Antonio. Do, are his options either I stay in the team apartment or I have to pay everything myself? And I, if you and if you opt out, you're out. Right. And I, I hope out. that there's some middle ground there that right. there's OK, if you're not going to stay in the team apartment, then we'll give you a stipend. And it, I'm sure it wouldn't be much, but I mean, a few hundred bucks a month would help somebody in that kind of a situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, there's there, that's about all the news we have today. We can go on and on about this. Stuff well, there was just- one other little nugget that, that dropped and it kind of went away. But for a minute there, it made me really angry. Uh, so Major League Baseball already put a cap on how many players of the, a team can have under contract in the minor leagues on domestic teams at 180. And then as a little part of this ongoing negotiations, they kind of slipped this thing in there that said, we want to limit it to 150, which would essentially remove one entire roster from each team. So bye-bye regular A ball. All you'd have is is high A and up. So goodbye Lake Elsinore is, is essentially what that would be saying to the Padres organization. That has never been a term it's never been a part of any of the collective bargaining agreement negotiations in the past. So 
I there, so Eugene Friedman, I keep bringing his name up. He's Love a labor negotiations war, uh, lawyer, and he provides some really interesting insight on all this stuff. And his angle on it was that it seems like Major League Baseball is trying to limit the pool of people that have the opportunity to eventually be represented by the CBA. Yeah. yeah. Because this is affecting people that aren't covered by the union. They don't have yeah. any protection under the union. So it's almost they did it just to kind of be jerks. Right. That's oh, yeah. what it looks oh, by, like. And by the way, we're just going to do this. Like poking a bear, but it's already a tense situation with, with negotiations. They come out and threaten that. It's just, and then since has been taken back, but still negotiations ain't over yet. So they can, as the last man, go, yeah, oh, by the way, we're doing this. So, well, yeah. And the fact that they put it on the table means that they're thinking about it. They want to do it eventually. That's ridiculous. It is. And, and we see people that there are people that have a legitimate discussion about, okay, how much player development do you really need? Right. Could you give the guys more time uh, in the complex? Right. Um, you know, maybe, maybe encourage players to go to college and stay in college longer rather than drafting so many kids out of high school or out of junior college. So you're putting more of the, the skills development on, on that system, which right. I can see an angle where that could be good for college baseball, but Professional baseball being played in small towns all around this country is something that that plants the seeds for millions of fans. Yeah, and, and taking that away, it it, it really does. It, it's got to hurt the long term prospects of the game. Of the game, of the communities that will be de- will be uh, will be affected by this. And you're going to hear about this from Josh. It's like you you need like he said. Well, we could we ask the kind of the question like why do you guys you know, draft high school guys as soon as you get them in. As soon as you can get your hands on them, you can start developing, developing them as, you know, as a professional ball player instead of going into college and, you know, maybe that development started, stunted by playing time. Maybe it's stunted by um, they're only playing so many months out of the year, you know, a couple months out of the year, really. Right. Um, but or it's so a couple more years of bad habits. You right. know, you get them when they're young and you can make changes to mechanics. Yeah. Their body's not done developing. Yeah. So you can, you can encourage certain things. Yeah. Uh, and I can, and, and, and just devil's advocate, I can see where, sure, only so many jobs here. Why do we need to have so many people that are training for those? You know, the fewer people we have training, is that going to raise the bar of, of guys that get drafted? So maybe you cut out the chances, you know, you make a better chance for the guys that get drafted to go to the majors. But still, you need guys around the guys that are certainly going to make it to play. Right, Those right. Organizational and, and, guys, the guys that they, they may develop later, uh, late bloomers, you know, it's all, it's, it's not linear. Right. Well, as, as Macho Man Randy Savage said, the cream will rise to the top. Right. You got to water the garden. You guys check that out. Our interview with, with Josh. Oh, so, yeah. There's a couple of golden nuggets out of that. I really wanted to get the shirt made that says water the garden and have Tony Lasoya. Happy birthday, Tony. Birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. Make some kind of shirt that says water the garden and it'd be just kind of like our avatar. And um, the other one he got from Don Welke, and there's a lot of Don Welke talk in this, uh, in this interview with Josh is you accelerate the talented. Yes. That yes. Is, was a, I, I think that's how he's, how he put it. Accelerate yeah. the talented. That's, that's, that's wonderful. I right, wish guys, I could ahead. spend a, spend a day in a room with Don Welke and just you know, listen oh to the wisdom God. that came out of that guy. It sounds like he really was a philosopher in ways. Yeah, I mean, you do it for that long, uh, and 
if you be around the game that long, you're going to have some stories. You're certainly going to have knowledge and experience. And, uh, you know, he talked and he talks more about it in, in, uh, in our interview with him coming up here. So you guys, here comes Josh Emmerich. And we're joined here with Josh Emmerich, the West Coast cross checker. Um, did, dude, it's been a couple, several years since you've been on the podcast. I think we last talked to you first uh, at the winter meetings. Uh, how you been? And how's it going? Uh, it's been, it's good, man. It has been a long time. Um, you know, everything that's gone on, it's been kind of a, a wacky time, as everybody knows. But uh, I'm fired up. You guys reached out. I'm glad to. Uh, we have, uh, we've completed the Holy Trinity this time. Last time it was just a duo. Right. And right. With the Holy Trinity, like like Rush, so let's go. Yeah, I wasn't nice. able to join, so dude. I, and I remember that we were up in the very second deck there, right across from the uh, the John Boy Studios, right there when he was coming up. When he was yeah. coming up, so dude, a lot has happened since since the last time we've talked. How did you get through? You know, personally and professionally, how did you get through the lockdown and and the really the nitty gritty of COVID? Um. You know, it, it was tough at first because of the uncertainty and stuff, especially in baseball. And they, uh, they, um, you know, took us off the road and, and kind of shut it. All the scouting stuff got shut down by the my major league baseball. So, not having anything to do was kind of a, you know, you couldn't go anywhere or do anything. So that was kind of a, you know, an obstacle, obviously, of um, at first. But we kind of just grinded through it, hung out with my family, you know, um, and just waited it out and as, as things got progressed you know they started opening things up and we could you know watching video and stuff like that try to prepare for different questions that might come our way studying up on guys and um yeah we just kind of got through it you know it was going to be uh it was going to be a, a challenging ordeal because they, they changed the draft from 40 to five rounds so you're Oof. you're uh you're knocking off a significant chunk of, of players there and to add on top of that you know not the whole staff got to see everybody so yeah um it's a, it's a group effort. And when, you know, three quarters of the, of the people don't get to see the whole market, it's a, uh, it, it makes for a tough situation, but regardless, you know, everyone's healthy. We got through it and, you know, here we are. So at, at the time, were you, were you scouting more uh, like high school college? Was it a, a little bit of both? Yeah, we just, uh, we had just started the season. I believe it was, I wrote it down. I got, we got taken off the road March 12th of 2020. I believe it was a Thursday. I was up in Sacramento and I was watching a guy and kind of, you know, you hear the rumblings around the yard between different scouts and stuff and got an email that day. They shut us down and we went home and kind of said, scout from home and do what you can. And um, yeah, it was, it was different. You didn't know, you don't know what was going on. Now, did you, you know, during that downtime, did you go back to uh, maybe learn any kind of technology? Did you read up on any, any kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, learn yourself uh, different aspects of scouting and, and what to do. Or did you start like yeah. baking, baking sourdough bread? Did you learn how to play the banjo? <laughs> I got, I got a two, two part answer for that. Um, Donovan for you. I, uh, I decided to dive into the world of analytics and, and, and took two rap Soto courses to kind of familiarize, familiarize myself with that, that language and um, kind of get an idea of, you know, when people talk about that stuff, what it means and it's, so I got, you know, certified in hitting and pitching in both and got to uh, uh, met some people who actually had a rap soda. And I got to mess with it a little bit and kind of figure out and see what that was all about. And then, Roy, to your point, uh, 
I've always been a cook and I try to cook a lot, but I tried to learn some songs on the piano at the time. I, my goal was to, to learn some uh, Frederick Chopin teardrop, but uh, it's a very tough piece. But, uh, and Chopin is a very uh, one of the more technical pianists. Yeah, so I'm just going for that. I got all the time in the world. Why can't I just mess with this piano in my garage? So <laughs> I love that scene in uh, in Tombstone when uh, Doc Holliday Val Kilmer yes. playing the piano, and the guy walks up and like, eh. I can't remember the guy the, with the other, you know, Camp Town Camp Town Races. Is that Roger E. Douglas? He's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's so funny you say that because that's like probably one of the, the uh, my favorite one of my favorite movies, but also one of the best scenes when he's just how uh, I love how well rounded that character is of of, of Doc Holliday's aristocrat, yeah. articulate, intelligent, but yet edgy and uh, just my kind of guy. Yeah, and you know, right around that time, same time they had Erp. I think uh, Kevin Costner did did Erp and. Um, yeah, what's his name? Did Doc Holliday? Yeah, I like the accent, but Val Kilmer really killed it in Tombstone. I it came on last week, and I, I just stopped what I was doing. I'm like, all right, this is what I'm doing. I'm watching this. Yeah, in my in my my humble opinion, that's one of the best cinema characters of all time. Yeah, yeah. So Heath Ledger. We didn't plan on on covering the 2020 draft, but I'm intrigued by how things got cut down. That. Like in January, you think it's going to be a normal like 40 round draft and then you find out, OK, maybe it's going to be 20, maybe it'll be 10. And then they come out and just say five rounds. That's it. That's got to just throw what you guys do just on your head. Like, how do you even shift in preparing from one to the other? Yeah, I think uh, I think the first five rounds is the first 150 picks. So you're always kind of working with that um, that grouping of players. You start in the summertime and you work through the fall. You're always like have this top 150 that you're kind of, you know, trying to figure out and then figure out who's 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 going to be in that mix or who's going to be out, you know, coming and going, who's trending up, trending down. So I think when they when they nail down the five rounds, 150 picks, you kind of had that already because we're in March and we're just kind of finalizing stuff and it's getting, you know, final information and stuff. So I think in that regard, you had a familiarity there to work with. Instead of kind of like, you know, some guys, some organizations, you know, maybe they don't they don't put together their their crop that early, but uh, we do. So I think it kind of might have helped us a little bit. And I think we, we came with some pretty good picks out here with, you know, Hassel, Cole Cox and uh, Owen Cassie and uh, Jagger Haynes, uh, Jagger Haynes. And then, our, yeah, it was, you know, so everybody just did the best with what they could. But with the Padres, we're always well prepared and, and looking ahead and playing big picture instead of the now. So we were prepared to go. Well, but then after that, it was kind of the wild west with, uh, with undrafted free agents. Um, they raised the cap of what you guys could sign players for, but then it's just like, take your pick. Like it's wide open. Yeah. It was kind of like, a, you know, it, it, for anybody that never worked in college recruiting, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're pitching you like, Hey, this is where you got to come to the Padres and stuff. And you're talking to a lot of guys and kind of figuring out who's on who and, you know, some guys you like and team other like, and then they end up, you know, one guy I remember went with another club and was like, man, I thought we had that guy, you know, um, ended up getting, I believe you guys talked to Carter Lowen. Carter Lowen was one of those guys. So um, it was, it was definitely different. It was definitely an experience for sure, but I think it was something that, um, you know, you just kind of, it's one of those once in a lifetime deals. Hopefully it doesn't happen again, but it's right. another, right. another experience to kind of go with. 
Well, I think it really highlighted with you guys the relationships you have with with those players. You know, Carlo wasn't going to go in the top five, but as soon as you guys called, there was a familiarity there. You kind of had that relationship, and you know, it was like hell yeah, why not go to the Padres? I you know. Yeah, we, we pride ourselves a lot on building relationships because that's ultimately what it is. It's a marriage. Um, the player's coming to us. He has to know that when he comes to him, we have his best interest in place. And, you know, they also want to know us, too. You know, what are the Padres about? What are the, you know, what are the other clubs about? And, um, you know, does this guy fit? Does this person, you know, some minds are more analytic and they might, you know, be enticed by a different organization. And some guys are more, you know, a blend or a grassroots and whatever the fit might be. Fortunate enough, you know, we were fit for some guys and we got some guys we liked. So it was, it was, it was good. And we just spoke to Danny Dens. Um, and I believe he was one of the undrafted free agents from that year. And I thought it was interesting. He grew up in Chicago, grew up a Cubs fan. His whole family is all Cubs fans. And he told us that the Cubs were among the teams that were talking to him about signing him. And he wound up signing with the Padres. And we didn't go into why and or any of that. But at least it says something about that the Padres pursued him. They were able to cultivate that kind of relationship to sway him away from maybe what might have been a childhood dream. Yeah, I think uh, it speaks to our group and the fact that we're, we pride ourselves on on being, you know, one of the first teams to introduce ourselves to players and also spending as much time as we can around players because, like I said before, it's a marriage. We're going to be with this player for six, seven years as their minor league contract, and hopefully they, you know, graduate to the big leagues. But, um, yeah, it's just probably a testament to what we, what we try and do here in cultivating relationships with players. So how much is scouting, uh, you know, you, you see a player, he's really good, you know, you know he's good. How much uh, background do you guys really emphasize on and make up uh, when it comes to a player? So when you're watching a guy. Yeah, I think uh, you want to, you, you know, you obviously want to check the coach's stuff and, and kind of get go to the park and kind of figure out who's mom and dad. And then you kind of give them a soft, you know, profile, if you will. And then, you know, you, you dig as, as deep as you can. You're calling, you know, teachers, counselors, anybody you can – get a hold of that might be within, you know, two deviations of this kid. And then you want to also try and get people that have no, you know, as we call it skin in the game, because most people, when you talk, if I call Roy about Donovan, oh, he's the greatest. He works really hard. You know, it's like a lot of hyperbole. And you got to sift through that because, you know, nobody wants to talk, you know, down on, on these kids. So, which is totally understandable, but you got to try and find the real information because, you know, most kids are 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. You know, the maturity levels are different. That's what it's really about. You know, where's this guy's head at? Where's his passion at? You know, what's he willing to sacrifice and do to, to reach this? You know, I want to play in the big leagues. Yeah, everybody says that, but right. what are you willing to sacrifice to do that? Right. You know, and it's some guys, you know, it's, it's, you know, are you, you know, we call, if I call you on, you know, December 10th, December 15th, I call you, you know, are you the guy that's, oh, I just got in with my workout or are you the guy that's like, I'm, I'm on, you know, I'm out hunting or who is this guy? And that's, you know, right. Either, either or works, you know, you just kind of, you got to figure out, you got to try and figure out the person in 12 months as best you can. It's, it's I, I, I got a real quick, because you do kind of create a profile for parents. Um, have, do you know, have you ever had like, you ever seen the Bat Dad episode of South Park where <laughs> the guy just gets drunk, he's like, I am Bat Dad, and he's just getting drunk and yelling at the umpires and yelling at the coaches. Has that ever happened? Um. I kind of put you on the spot there, and I, I apologize, yeah. but. <laughs> no, mostly, you know, most people you meet are buttoned up. You know, most right. of these kids come from some pretty good stock. Right. And, uh, yeah, I can't think, I can't think, no. Nah, I've never run right. across that. 
Right. Particularly the good kids. I, I can see that where the good kids, you know, their parents uh, have gone through travel ball, you know, they're done trying to coach their kid from the, from the stand, but uh, it just oh, that, that, my mind. That, never, that never stops. That's always present. It's, you just don't get the, uh, maybe they are drunk. Who knows? I don't know, but they're not, <laughs> they're not, they're not bad dad. No, for no, none of those. Uh, uh, well, and I got to figure by the time they realize that their kid is being watched, that their eyes, that there may be somebody out there in the crowd, mom and dad, probably realize that they need to be on, you know, try to try to keep the behavior on a certain level so that they don't negatively affect their kids' chances. Absolutely. They're, you know, you go to a game and there's 60, you know, 40 to 60 scouts there and they're there to watch your son. Uh, you best believe that you're going to be, Oh, I'm not be on my best behavior. So that, and that's why it's important to try and, and get people like, you know, three or four deviations away. If you don't have you know, skin in the game and can kind of, you know, you want the good and the bad so you can make a good decision. Right. Right. So, you know, you want to know everything you can, good and bad, so you can make the right decision because, you know, those things like immaturity or stuff like that, that, that stuff changes as you get older, you know. But it's about, you know, finding the guy who's, who'll be able to survive and, you know, kind of kind of take on the, on, the, on the mentality of people want here. So, yeah, this conversation has me thinking about somebody the Padres selected recently that was a bit of a surprise, James Wood. And I know he's an East Coast guy. You probably didn't have any direct uh, interactions with him. Um, but leading up to the draft, Keith Law was particularly vocal about um, his work ethic, his there was a, like a, a considerable lack of focus, a lack of dedication, um, and he had a really bad spring. And then the Padres go and surprisingly take him at a fairly high spot and invest a lot of money in them. And they must have had some information about about the makeup side of things. Um, and so far, it's it's yielded some amazing rewards because he just started blowing things away. And yeah, you know, he's off to a great start. Where there were there were some people that were kind of casting some some shade on that pick. Yeah, you know, um, he was obviously a famous guy coming out of the summer. We saw him in the summertime and the fall, you know, I'll put it to you this way. You know, just because you you, you say there's a book with five chapters and just because you pop in on chapter three and you read the chapter, doesn't mean you know the whole story, right? So when you're scouting a player, you're putting together this book and, you know, us scouts, we get to see, you know, chapters one, two, three, we get to see the book, right? And then you know, some people, you know, and that, that's their job. They come in and they get they get a, a quick, you know, page or two of chapter three. And, you know, and they're supposed to formulate something, right or wrong, whatever it is. It's just right. what I know is that when we took the guy, we felt very comfortable about our work on him and the makeup, obviously, because you don't you don't invest that type of money on on a, on a, on a, um, a guess. Right. So, you, you know, that's that's that's, that's like, it right there. It's a more testament to our, to our group and how we work, you know, Keith, Keith's respected and, you know, he's allowed to say what he wants to say, but, um, you know, we'll see. But yeah, it was obviously nice to have, uh, Woody go out there and do his thing. I saw him play probably his second weekend and it was like, wow, you know, this has a chance to be a pretty special one. If it, uh, if it all comes together, when it all comes together, I should say, because, you know, they talk about his, you know, work ethic and stuff. I just think what's great about Woody is that he has a low pulse. A low pulse and stress environments, I think it serves him well. So um, we'll see what he brings this year. I expect, you know, expects him to have a pretty good year because of the things he's done. And he's got work to do like they all do. We all yeah. do. So yeah. We'll see. But, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really pay attention to those, those stuff because that's not what I'm here to do. So Right. And uh, we expect to see him in Lake Elsinore this year. I'm, do you have nothing on 
we're not asking, but we're expecting to see him, Jackson Merrill, some of these guys make their way to A-ball this year. And, and that's going to be real fun to see him. Um, yeah, those are, those are the type of guys you want to push, you know. I think, I think the, the, uh, the motto around here is you want to, you want to accelerate, the, accelerate the, the talent of the gifted or accelerate the path of the gifted, one of those. That's our, like, the motto. So. That sounds like one of these philosophical sayings that comes out of right. a out of a out of a yoga book or something. Does so does that does that kind of philosophy come from AJ Preller down or like where where does all of these uh like how does the culture get created like that? I, yeah, it comes from AJ and it comes from like his mentor uh, Don Welke. I think that was his philosophy. You know, obviously a big scouting background, a very successful background. And uh, so uh, I don't know if he said it or AJ said it one time, but I was like, I was like, what'd you double tell me? What'd you just say? <laughs> well, you need to put that on the, you know, in my head, like, we got to put that on the wall. Like, right. Accelerate the path of the gifted or something like that. Yeah. It's yeah, like it's, play like a champion today at Notre Dame. Right. We're here to, we're here to, we're here to accelerate the path of the gifted. So um, it is, man, you know, it, it, scouting is philosophical because it's, you know, it, it's my experience versus Donovan's experience versus your experience. And we're all trying to come to this this place where you respect mine. You know, I respect yours. But, you know, when we have to disagree, we disagree. And, that, that, you know, that's obviously comes into play and stuff. But ultimately, we're trying to win. And we're trying to get the best players we can. So absolutely. And, it, and it's worked pretty well so far. Um, I, you know, talking to the past few guys that we have talked to, and they, they talk about how the scouts were so involved in in their, in their career at that time, like they were like, they just couldn't stop talking about how well they were uh, communicating with those, with, uh, with the scouts and how comfortable they felt around those guys. And I'm sure it happens with a lot of organizations, but you know, they, they sealed out a couple of their, a couple of regional scouts that were talking about that. Um, It's something that makes me feel really good about the organization. Yeah. I think, uh, look, man, when you're going through that process, it's the, you know, you're going into a world of unknown as a, as a, a scout prospect, you know, high school kids, 16, 17, or 17, 18 years old, college guys who have never been through the process. You know, you're getting told all this information and, you know, you don't, you know, you're going in a direction, but you don't know where you're going, you know? Right. So I think when, when you can, you know, kind of guide people along and kind of give them some little, little tidbits here and there, it makes them, you know, they can take a deep breath and enjoy the moment, you know, because some guys get so stressed out and you, you know, they'll play with draftitis you'll see him stressed out on the field and like, that's not who he is. So if you can offer any kind of advice to these players, it's, it's helpful because you just want them to be the best they can be. So um, yeah, you know, again, it just goes back to what, what we try to cultivate here. So you cultivate the relationship with the player leading up to the draft. Um, You know, once the draft happens, I'm sure on, in one sense, you're already looking, looking ahead to the next year, but do some of those relationships continue after the draft, even if you wind up not selecting that player? Oh, for sure. There's plenty of guys, you you know, because, you know, they tell you, you know, it's hard to like get to know somebody and not get attached to them, especially if you have a click, you click with them and you vibe with them, you know, and you're like, oh man, I really wanted this guy. He went, you know, I got selected. It's like, damn, I thought we had, you know, but you know, you're always, you're, I'm always, you know, you're always checking box scores. You know, like one guy that comes to mind was like Ryan McMahon for me. It's like, oh, what would you know Ryan do? You know, you always keep, you know, you check in here and there. And there's different guys you obviously talk to. Um, sometimes, you know, the ebb and flows of relationships. Because you sometimes, you, you know, as they're ascending, you want to leave them alone. and You don't want to bother them. Um, and, and guys are just different. You know, everybody's different in the relationships. But there's some guys that, you know, you can talk to all the time. There's some guys you don't hear from once in a while. And 
there's other guys you don't talk to, but yeah, those relationships you try, you try and keep them there because you know you got to know that person. You kind of divulge, you know, you had a, you had a you had a, a connection with someone, you know. So you try to try to keep that going. Well, and you're talking to parents and coaches and teachers and all these yeah. people around them. So you really get to know somebody and I'm, I'm sure that sometimes they like, they touch a spot in your heart. Like I yeah. really want to see this kid do well, whether he's with us or even, you know, otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, and now we're talking about this kind of a funny story. Uh, my first year I scouted, uh, we scouted Vince Velasquez and we traded for him last year. That was in 2010. And I hadn't talked to Vince or his dad in probably 11 years. And the night he got traded out of the blue, I got a text from his dad. Saying, hey, Josh, you know, I'm excited about the Padres, Vince, and blah, blah, blah. So we're going to have some more tacos or something like that because he made tacos the night I went over and visited. And it's like, that was cool, man. It's like, t- you know, 12 years, radio silence, all the blues. Like, yeah, I totally remember. Like, I, to- I-, I remember the house. I remember the dinner. I remember walking away. I mean, so, yeah, you always have those moments in time where you, you just, you don't, you never forget. Even the bad ones, you know, you guys that didn't like, you're like, oh, I definitely remember that. Nice. <laughs> hey, so, so there's been some internal changes in, and a big shakeup in the organization. Um, they added some scouts in your area, and then Chris Kemp came over, uh, and now he's heading the amateur scouting. Um, can you tell us how that's been going with, with Chris? Yeah, it's been good. You know, uh, you know, kind of seamless transition, a lot of energy, uh, full attack mode. You know, nothing's really changed in our philosophy or how we're going about it. Um, so I can't say enough. You know, good things about it, and. Um, yeah, there's been some changes on staff, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do, we're trying to get better. We're trying to be the best group there can be. And, right. you know, if you look at it as a baseball team, you always, you know, you're always trying to have, um, the strongest players at every position. So, um, we made some changes. You, and, you know, I've seen a couple guys, you know, a couple things on Twitter where guys that I didn't know their background, uh, say, Hey, I'm taking a position with the Padres. Have any of the new, uh, younger staff, uh, scouts in your area, Come on, and have you been able to mentor them? Because you've been in the game for a while now. You're a supervisor, cross-checker. Um, have you ever been able to kind of take some of those guys under their wing and kind of, you know, move them along? Yeah, you're always uh, – yeah. You know, that's one of the um, – one of our big things here is, is like, teach. you got to teach. You know, you're, you're in a supervisor where you're in a teaching role. you got to guide the young scouts. and Because um, a lot of people just think it's just, like, go to the game and see the game and it's over. And it's like – that's, like, honestly the easiest part of the day. The, the real scouting works when you, when you go back home and you got to open up the computer and, and start putting all your thoughts on, on paper and kind of, you know, planning, scheduling, uh, you know, matchups, uh, different, all kinds of different things. So you're always, you're always trying to mentor them and like, Hey, take one day at a time, two weeks, two weeks windows and, and take a deep breath and, and trust your gut. Cause I think when you're a young scout, the biggest thing is like, you don't, you don't always trust yourself because mm-hmm. you're kind of, you're a little, little gun shy. But I think once you get past that, the faster you can get past that and, and, uh, and believe in yourself and your, your initial reaction is when you start to take off as a scout. But um, a little roundabout answer. But yes, we're always taught to water the garden here. Now you got a big bag of tricks. There's uh, another one right there. Water, yeah, the, water garden. the garden. You, you must have a big bag of tricks. It's like a private investigator trying to figure out, you know, the, on the background side, I would imagine at some point scouting what you see with your eyes on the field becomes the easy part of the job. And then the challenging part is learning how to, how to fill out the rest, how to, to put the color to that painting of, of just what is this person like? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, uh, 
instead of detective, right? Is that what you said earlier, Roy? Yeah, private, yeah. private investigator. Yeah, that's what I always tell you know, young scouts. I said, this is the best job in the world because it's like the three, you know, as a little boy, you're like, you're a baseball guy, you're a detective, and you're a poker player. So, because like you keep your information close, you got to find all this information, and obviously you get to go to a baseball game. But um, yeah, you know, how, do, how does this information I'm getting on in the back, how does it relate to what I'm seeing and vice versa? You know, if you see, if you see a young kid who kind of like poor body language, immaturity, and then you see, you know, drunk, whatever you said, bat dad, whatever. And right. Okay. okay that, probably, that probably stems from that. Right. Right. So you're kind of always, you're always taking everything in and um, as new pieces of information become available, you're, you're always just like, you're always putting together that 3000 piece puzzle. Right. A really small one. And you're like, ah, oh, it kind of gives you a headache at times, but when you get a couple of pieces or the picture becomes more clear. Um, so you're always doing that, but yeah, you're always, you're always balancing information, whether it's your eyes, your ears or whatever. Well, I have to ask this because I'm going to show my ignorance here. Uh, you hear it all the time and you are a cross checker. What does that entail? What, what, what actually, do you go back and check these guys out or do you funnel that information up? Both. Um, so I'll go see, you know, my job is to organize the West coast prospects for the draft and pass the information like, up in terms of hey um for example say you had a, a you know a baseball america thing like oh what do we know about this guy and like no these these are the ones we like and then my my superiors come in and they have a bigger uh view of the picture and they start plugging all oh, these pieces fit here fit here fit here and then at the end we go in a room and we we uh debate on you know who we like after we hear all the information because all the scouts will come in at the end and present a player and tell us everything they got on them you got to take all the information in and formulate an opinion because you have to ultimately, you know, say what you think. Right. Right. And, you know, balancing, you know, Hey, this high school kid is real strong. You know, he's talking about going to this college, um, deciding if you want to spend them you know, resources to go with that guy or hey, that's too strong. We don't want to waste our time here. Maybe we should go with that guy. Um, I can see that. Yeah. You're always like, you know, how's the Southern California shortstop compared to the, the shortstop in Arizona or the shortstop in NorCal versus the, the shortstop in, in Hawaii or, mm. or you know, Seattle or, you know, the biggest demographic right-handed pitcher in Southern California versus the guy in Washington versus the guy you saw in Texas, you know, like, how do you, how do you take those? How do you take them? Like it could be one order and you go to another guy, it could be a completely different order for a different right, reason. Right. You, uh, you're, it's a comparison game and you're always, you're always, you're always just comparing players like who's better than who, who do you think is going to be better than who? And, you know, you could have a guy, you know, so there's always off the wall, a guy who's maybe not as uh, famous in the industry as some might think you, you love with them because of what you found out, what you know, what you've seen. And it's not always what, you know, is always published in the, the magazines or whatever you want to call them because right. that's, that's um, yeah, it's completely different. Well, it's something you alluded to right there. You're not scouting, who this player is today, you're scouting who you think they may be four, five, six years from right. now when they finally, you know, complete their, their development. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part. You know, I think sometimes, you know, you can get jammed up when people are like, Oh, this guy, you know, certain guys better than this guy. And it's like, you know, you're like, yeah, right now I get that, but where is it going? You know, tell me Starbucks before it was Starbucks. Tell me, you know, tell me Tesla before it was Tesla. Let me you know, buy low. I'm not, I'm not trying to buy Tesla. Yeah, obviously Tesla. I'm not trying to buy Tesla now. Like I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to get these guys that, you know, we're on the upswing. So Donovan said something about people like 
we 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 follow people on Twitter and then they wind up getting hired. There's somebody that comes to mind personally that I used to interact with a lot, Chris Kusiolik, and he was hired a couple of years ago. Do you do you know him? Is he still working for the Padres? Yeah, I just saw Chris uh, two weeks ago, two weekends ago, right here in Arizona. Yeah, he's still working. I believe he does most of the stuff on the pro side, um, but since they're not doing much right now, we had a big tournament going on, and he kind of came out and you know, kind of give us a, a different perspective, which is always good. You know, he's coming from the pro side, guys, a little more polished. You're coming down here, and you have to kind of you know think a lot, a little bit more about where it's going. But yeah, Chris still works here, does a good job, very passionate, always at you know, always at the. I bet you got a feel right now, like the guy in this love. <laughs> Well, you know, and his tweets would be so technical. Like I, I would love, he was a good follow because I would just, he would say all these, you know, arm lags or, his, you know, it just all these technical terms where it was just a matter of time before that guy got hired by someone. And so having the Padres pick him up and he was, so he works at the complexes, right? He's kind of like, yeah, he does. He does a lot of the complex work, but he was, before he even got hired, he was out, out at games. I remember like yeah. doing a pro coverage or instruction league coverage. You go out and you're like, who's this dude right here? You know He's just like, oh, he loves the game, you know. A lot of guys, that's how they break in, man. That's how you got to do it, you know. If yeah. you don't know somebody, you know, I've seen a lot of guys just kick down the door because they just keep showing up. And, you know, when people jobs get hired, like, hey, what about, you know, what about that dude? What's his name? Like, oh, Chris. And you end up talking and he can talk baseball, obviously, you know, arms dragging, it's late, whatever you want to call it, all the vernacular. But, yeah, dude, Chris, he's a good dude, man. He gets after it. So how, how does somebody, if, if, if there's, you know, 15 year old kid listening to our podcast right now that says, I want to be a scout someday, what do they need to do to really kind of start heading down that path? Um, if they're not a baseball player, I would well, so you, that, you came to the minor either, leagues, you were drafted, you were drafted, you played the minor leagues several years. Uh, someone like Chris, I don't think played, I, I, yeah. I don't know if you played pro I ball. Think, I, We'll go from the angle of a high school kid who, who loves baseball but doesn't play. I think you would go to college, obviously, and get a degree. Um, I mean, I would try to aim at economics, business, or whatever, but I would try to uh, get involved with the baseball team, go up, try to be the, uh, you know, on the baseball op- operations staff, learn, you know, go out there and volunteer and eventually get a job to where you kind of know the intricacies of how a team works and all the business stuff, not just the game on the field, because there's a lot more than that. But I would do that route and usually, you know, talk to the coach you, you do well and you go you know maybe maybe uh intern in the cape cod league make connections you're always just trying to build this spider web of network you know like anywhere else but uh and, and the thing about baseball it's such a small world so your spider web doesn't really have to be that big but you got to know the right people and go to the right spots but i would say college baseball operations team on a, on a college team and go to the cape and then you know throw your resume out and that's that's a good start you know, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, he hasn't been on for a while because he's now a scout for the Minnesota Twins. Jason Panini was a guy that we've had on several times on the podcast from Prospects Live. And then, you know, and he talked about the passion of the game and just he was like Chris. He was out there every, every day in Arizona. And when we were talking, he was like, I am maxed out of my credit cards. I think I got like three more months left and I got to go back home to Connecticut and find somewhere to work. And, you know, he's got that. He, he's still working for the uh, for the twins, but you know that's the passion, yeah. Yeah, it's the passion you want because ultimately you got to be dedicated. You know, they want. It's not obviously it's not a normal job. You're, you got very odd hours, and you know you, you, very, you work in a very cool industry. But there's a lot of you know different things you're asked to do that you know put a lot of strain on you at times. But you know it's just like anything you want, you got to sacrifice, and people know you're willing to sacrifice to get to where you want. And 
that goes a long way with people. So how, so how much, um, you know, how much does social media, like we talked last week, we talked to Ray Johnson, uh, an associate scout in North Carolina, and he, he got connected to the Padres because they found him uh, posting videos of players uh, on social media. And uh, yeah. Chris, I think, I, I think, I think Chris Kemp reached out and they followed him on some burner accounts that, you know, hey, they liked what he was doing. They asked him to be, uh, you know, finalist guys or we'll send you to places. How much does, hey, how much do you guys rely on the associate scouts? And then uh, second part of it will be is how much does social media, like the flat ground apps and the other, uh, you know, the other videos that you see on Twitter and other social media kind of play into where you want to see guys or how you see guys? Yeah, I think with associate scouts, it's just having another, another, you know, more boots on the ground that you trust have some you know uh feel to know what they're looking at and not you know not be uh oh this guy's the greatest guy ever you know it's like okay what does that mean because you're a great migrator to completely different things you know that's the the jadedness of the industry but um yeah just more boots on the ground that you you trust and then the the flat ground apps and all that you know social media stuff uh i think it's just a good tool honestly you just see it you see something you're like oh that looks interesting because most of the time you know, it's like Instagram where it's just like their greatest hits. And then you go, why? <laughs> you go see this dude and it's like, it's usually, you know, minus five miles an hour. Or the, it just doesn't add up. So it's just like a good thing, kind of like a tool. Like, hey, this guy looks interesting. Let's go check this guy out. You know, or look what, uh, you know, look what so-and-so did this weekend at, at Texas A&M or whatever. It's just like like a news network. That's how I look at it. I don't, I don't. Oh, nice. Nice. I don't go on. You're like, oh my God, look at this. We got to, you know, this guy's good. It's like, no, you got to go watch with your eyes because right. it's a completely different thing when you see him, when you see him play because, you know, I was watching, uh, I was watching Twitter, some other thing, and it was, I think it was a pitching ninja and they had Chris Bassett on and they're talking about analytics and he was talking about something about like how um, analytics are a tool, but the most thing is like it's a human element part that you can't quantify and that you need humans to look at. And that's, that's the beauty of the game. So you can't use those these these uh, black and white uh, tools for a right. gray a gray a gray lens. If that makes sense. Cage bombs all the time. Oh, a guy hits cage bombs. Yeah, yeah, in the cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and that and most of the time that ball is like you know even if the velocity is high, it's pretty much in the same six yeah. inches. It's what happens when it's running and tailing or there's forty thousand fans and the game's late and you're over four and you got to come up and face that guy. And now you're like. There's a lot of, you know, inside wiring that goes on. It's either adrenaline, you know, anxiety, which is a real thing for people. It's like, that's why you got to watch them play, man. You got to watch those, those late, late, late game at bats in, in the big situations because some guys have it where they're, you know, like a James Wood where the pulse is low and some guys have yeah. red line pulse. And it's like, you got to, you got to kind of find that out. Exactly. Where's that red line going to go if, uh, you know, if things go south in, in situations. Um, so now things are getting back to normal. Now you're going – now you'll be able to see the season just starting. Uh, college just started this last week. Um, are things kind of getting back to normal? Were you able to go and have the access to players and and not be so uh, separated from these guys now? Oh yeah, we've been uh, we've been <clears throat> wide open for a while now. Um, we were one of the first crews, I think, to once they they lowered the regulations or whatever. Uh, we were wide open, and yeah, we're we're back to, back to normal for the most part. Actually, we are back to normal. There's nothing that's been restricted. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been fun, man. You know, we just got done with our first weekend, saw some guys and another thing, you know, you go meet them in the fall, you talk to them and you kind of get some, 
you know, internal gut feelings. You go watch them play, and it's like, okay, I can see why that's happening, you know. Um, so, yeah, we're full go. Back, you know, full speed ahead, and it's go time. It's fun. Hey, I'm going to give a quick plug to my UCSD Triton. So, you know, I, I, I work for UCSD. They're, I think they, they took the series this weekend from Seattle U. Um, you got to come out and say, see to those guys, man. They're, they're really good. We had some eyes there last weekend, I believe. And uh, actually, I got, a, I got a screenshot of it right when the trolley was dead center from home yeah. plate. I was like, check out this new, the new picture. It's pretty sweet. But, uh, yeah, I call yeah. it trolley bombs. I look so different now. Yeah, trolley it's great. So with, with, so with the draft, you know, with, with the draft going down, you know, potentially, potentially going down to 20 rounds, right? So that's pretty much a done deal, right? That was last year. They also went down to 20 rounds. That's not a part of the collective bargaining agreement. I think that's just playing Major League Baseball doing that, right? I believe so. Okay. So does that put pressure on you guys to maybe be more right about your picks? I mean, obviously you guys are trusting what you see and what you've learned, um, but does it put a little more pressure to be a little bit a little bit better in your in your decisions? Um, I don't know if I'm I saying that right. Yeah, I think you're always trying to be right in your decisions. It's hard, you know. You're dealing with people. And uh, 40, 20, 65, whatever the case may be, you're always trying to make the best decisions. Mm-hmm. And your processes, you're always trying to tighten them up. How can I get better? You know, I encourage, you know, my young guys to read books on, you know, psychology books, different, you know, just different things to try to get you to understand people. But I don't think – I don't think there's any more pressure, honestly. I just think we're always just trying to do the best we can and, and, and be better than we were the year before. The goal, or, you know, the ultimate goal is, you know, get a big leaguer in every round. So there's 20 rounds, let's get 20 big leaguers. That's, that's the bar, and, you know, that's what we try and do. So there's been talk recently about – so Major League Baseball proposed that they wanted to further reduce the number of players that a, a, a minor, that an organization could, could have. They, they wanted to go from 180 down to 150, and people are looking out on the horizon like, okay, how efficient, how streamlined can they get the player development process? Could you see a time where there's a lot less people picked out of – high school or even early leaving out of college and there's more focus on developing in college. And then, you know, so that would change what you guys do. You'd be focusing more scouting on college and not paying so much attention to high school. Uh, sure. Nothing's impossible. Um, yeah. I think, you know, high school guys, they got leverage in the draft because they can hang that, that college commitment over you, which, you know, costs a lot, you know, more of an investment. So yeah, I can see something changing like that, but I don't think it's, you know, you look at some of the better players in the big leagues, they're high school drafts because ultimately what you're trying to do is buy time. The more time you get, the more time you have to get your hands on them, the more time, you know, the faster you can accelerate the path of the gifted, you know. Yeah. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen, honestly. I, I don't really pay too much attention. I just try to, you know, I just try to kick ass, honestly. <laughs> All right. So also with the, with the opening up and loosening up of restrictions, uh, dude, you just recently went to a show. You went to the tool show, right? Yeah, brother. Sure did. Tool. I saw him uh, uh, January. I forget the three weeks ago at the pond in Anaheim. It was and I, I got some really good seats this time. I was really excited. So uh, center cut, probably about 15, 20 rows back. It was uh, it's one of those experiences like this should never end, you know, but right. uh, yeah, love shows. It's the best thing. You know, that's another thing you get back to go. You know, I got another show coming up. I got canceled during 2020. So you know, another thing that's that's positive coming up, but yeah, man, live music. I think I said before, Don, like there's nothing better than live music. Yeah, the Tool concert here at San Diego State in 2020, that was the last 
event that I attended that was fully like normal open before everything got weird. Were you on night one or night two? I was there for night one. And that was, that was right after, uh, that, that was right after, um, Oh my God. I can't believe Neil Pert passed away. Yeah. And so when they had their little intermission, which always blows my mind that the other three guys go off stage and they go take a rest. And Danny Carey, who's been just an absolute Tasmanian devil the whole time, he stays up there and normally he's messing with the synthesizers and he's, but that one, he did a whole rush themed drum solo. That was, that was really cool in, 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 in tribute to him. What a monster that guy is, huh? He's like, oh my it's like, god, like an octopus, man. It's unreal. He's just, you know, that's the thing. He's like, you go watch those dudes play, and I was fortunate enough to see Rush play. Like the the the, the level of musicianship is like pristine. It's like you're in. It's hard not to be in a trance and awe of just like the timing of four, five, and three individuals to be on the same page at the same. Oh, it's just like it lights me up, man. But yeah, Danny Carey is amazing. He's so he's so fun to watch. I've seen them three times. And what's always blown me away is just the quality of their sound. Like I'll go see another band in that same venue and it'll sound muddled or it'll sound, you know, like the cymbals sound all splashed out or you walk around the place and it changes when you walk. Their sound is always just uniform and yeah. clean and the bass hits. Everything is just so balanced. It, it, it always blows me away. So for that show, my wife got us the tickets and they wound up being like way up on the side of the bowl, like nosebleeds kind of, but I was looking, I felt like I was looking right down into the top of Danny Carey's drum set. And I was, I was happy to be there because I was just transfixed on watching him the whole time. Yeah. It's, 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 Oh man, it's hard to take your eyes off of him. But then you see, you know, like I'm a guitar player. So I like watching Adam Jones do his thing. And then you see Justin Chancellor and he always got to like the, they're like the groovy, the groovy bass rock and stuff. It's just like, you know, I want to be that guy. I want to be up there. I want to be up there. I want to feel like you just feel the energy. And it's just, uh, God, what an experience. I, you know. And then Maynard's just kind of hiding in the corner. Right. Yeah. The first time I saw a tool, like I, I didn't see Maynard for the first like three. I'm like, where is this dude? And I was like, oh, <laughs> he was painted all black and they had a dark set. So you couldn't see him. And I was like, oh, he's right there. And then you start seeing like his moves too. You're like, yeah, man, they're just they're in the they're in the groove right now. It's just so you and you so you've been you're you've moved to Arizona, am I correct? Correct. Um, have you made it out to his winery yet? No, it's up in Jerome. It's like two and a half, three hours north. Uh, I have looked it up though. I'm going. It's going to happen. I think it's called Caduceus Caduceus Winery. I guess he has a on-site uh, pizzeria, I believe. Okay. With all the farm the table. So, oh yeah, I'm completely like I got it mapped out. Where else? Where's Les Claypool's winery? He oh. also does wine as well. Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't know. I don't. I'm not a big Primus fan, so okay. I don't. I don't pay much attention to Les Claypool. He's a great baseball player, but I don't know. Tell me where, Donovan. I'll have to find out. <laughs> I don't drink anymore. So. <laughs> uh, it's in. It's in Sonoma County. In Is he in Sonoma? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He's a Bay Area guy. Yeah. 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 I was just, that's funny. Primus, I was on the radio today. Uh, Jerry was a race car driver. <laughs> Good one. So, so what else is going on? How's your, um, God, you know, I, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know things are going to get really crazy for you here. Um, what else is going on? What else got going on in your life? You, um, it, you have children much. yet? Yeah, I have three children. I have a 16, 15, and a 10 year old. Uh, so we're just, you know, kind of coaching them up, getting, you know, being, being parents, doing that. Um, 
what do we got? A lot of cooking going on. It's baseball right now, season, so it's 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 pretty much the, the uh, main focus. But you got to balance that with you know being a family guy and doing all that stuff. But uh, not too much is cooking in the guards of other things. We're just kind of in season right now. Well, yeah. so now that the season is fired up, how much of your time do you wind up spending on the road? Um, it, it varies. You know, sometimes I just got home from a seven-day roadie uh, out in Southern California, and then um, it can vary, you know, two, three days. Uh, I'll be home. You know, I can be home for seven days. Depends. It kind of just depends on what the schedule, what the schedule is doing, who's, you know, what college is where, what high school guys playing where, and kind of – you kind of – you try to bunch them up and make a run. Like, I can get this guy Tuesday, this guy Wednesday, this guy Thursday. And they'll run me in right into the, uh, the weekend series with San Diego State. So I got, you know, six days, seven days. I'll knock out. You know, it could be seven guys. It could be 14 guys, depending on, you know, what the what the teams are. So are you in the Phoenix area? Yeah. So I guess that kind of makes sense because there's a lot of – you get a lot of tournaments there in Phoenix. Plus, it's a pretty large airport hub. So travel to different regions is, is pretty – uh, you, you know, it's more conducive it's there. About, yeah, it's it's a great baseball environment and area, but it's actually, in my opinion, quicker to get to LA from Phoenix than it is from San Diego to LA. Hour <laughs> 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 flight. There, yeah, forty-five minutes rather than two and a half, three hours. <laughs> you know, Friday afternoon. So um, yeah, it's very you know very convenient, very versatile spot. Phoenix, you can get anywhere I need to be on the West Coast by three o'clock. Hey, you know, I was supposed to be, I was out there. How, how much do you guys pay attention to like the travel ball tournament? So I was out there, um, I was supposed to be out there for, for fantasy camp. Uh, that got canceled because of COVID, but we still spent a long weekend out there. Um, and there was a, I think I saw a Canes uh, kid playing. How, how much of the travel ball tournament stuff do you guys pay attention to? Or do you just kind of leave that to the associate guys? Uh, you're aware of it, you know, you're aware of it, especially they have, you know, high school prospects on the team because in the summertime, you know, that's your initial, you know, uh, I don't know what the, I don't know what the exact term is. Like when an old miner would put a big old thing into the river and kind of, you know, shake it back and forth to see what, Oh yeah, there's something that's kind of like the summertime is your initial, whatever that's called. <laughs> you <Right>. go in, <laughs> Oh yeah. It looks like a guy, you know, like, Oh, I remember this kid's name, but you also have a catalog of, as you're watching this year, you got couple names in your head of next year and two years down the road. Oh, yeah, I saw the sophomore. Where's he at? Or I saw this junior. Where's he at? So yeah, you're aware of it. You're not like, Oh my, you know, the Canes are playing this week. I'm going to go watch, but you're aware of what's going on. Okay. All right. So something that, that I've seen come across my feet a couple of times, it kind of bothers me. I've seen scouting reports on kids that are like 10, 11, 12 years old when yeah. they're supposed to be just out there having fun and not worrying about how fast do they throw, what's my pop time, or, or any of that. How early do you guys really start paying any attention to, to, to kids? Because uh, you just mentioned like sophomore in high school. That, that yeah, makes a little sophomore, more sense. Sophomore for me, you know, there's some people that, you know, do it different. There's just, there's, you know, obviously, you know, you sign, you know, 16-year-olds in the international side, but – there's just so much development, you know, between a 15-year-old and an 18-year-old and 17-year-old, right. 15 to 25, you're talking about 10 years, you know. So I wouldn't say – I would say you just kind of have a soft focus on that sophomore, like big body, athletic, fast arm, you know, through strikes, had a breaking ball, not, you know, at a, you know, at Mesa College or whatever. And you kind of like – you keep that – you write it down. You have, you have your own catalog of players too. So you always have a running tab of like kind of who, what's coming. You know, so 
Uh, I think, but back to your question, I was, yeah, I, someone's getting greased on who's writing reports on 10, 12 year old. <laughs> and some parents paying money for that too, I bet. And that's, that's, that's where it, yeah. it gets it's, it's, gnarly. It's, hey man, it, I, we, do, we really appreciate it going on. And yeah, no yeah I, I had one more question that I wanted to ask. So the, I, I know Jacob deGrom got discovered because scouts showed up and they were there to watch uh, Max Scherzer pitch. Can you think of any occasion where you showed up to watch player a, and then there's some kid that you had was not on your radar and that winds up kind of showing up for you. Uh, I think they're there to see uh, Chris sale versus DeGrom. Right. Uh, that's who it was. Chris sale. Uh, and DeGrom was playing shortstop batting in the three hole, I believe. Uh, anyways, uh, back to your question. I know um, I'm putting you on the spot. No, it's fine. Uh, at least, can you say that that's ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Those are like the best scouting days there are. You know, you got to see, <laughs> you see, you see Donovan and you're disappointed, but you find Roy and like, okay, that's better. Right. <laughs> that's every day, man. That is every day. Yeah. I, you know, kind of relevant. Uh, um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa with the Texas Rangers. Okay. He was a, a Hawaii, Hawaii kid. And I was there to go actually go see his teammate. And I didn't know who Isaiah was. And it was pretty late in, in the calendar, scouting calendar. So um, you're like, you go to see the, his teammate. You're like, oh, then you see Isaiah. And you're like, wow, who's this kid? Athletic, running good, throwing good, swing, you know, all the, you know, swing works. And so he would probably come to mind the first. Was, what then, position was he playing when you saw him? Uh, he was playing shortstop. Okay. Because he came up as a catcher and he, the guy, the guy can do anything. Yeah, he's, he's turned out to be a versatile, versatile piece, man. He's uh, yeah, he started as a shortstop, Hawaii, uh, I want to say mid-pack high school. And uh, he signed as a shortstop, and then I think they converted him probably two or three years into it. But he got, you know, credit to him, he got strong. He's always been a tough kid, so um, not surprising to see him show up, but more surprising to see the versatility. Like, he's he's really been a tactical piece. I think he won yeah, a gold glove this year. Yeah, that's got to be a, a strange journey to be drafted as a shortstop, be converted into a catcher, and then wind up. I I don't know if his Gold Glove was at shortstop or third base, but like kind of come full circle like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it, it's definitely weird. But if you really think about it, it's like that's a baseball player. That's what you want, right? You know, right? I don't want to pigeonhole myself into being you know these kids like I'm a pitcher only. Like, what are you doing, kid? Right? You should be playing. You know. No, the better ones I can do to help the team win. Yeah. Yeah. The better ones, you know, better pitchers I've seen. They, they, if they're not pitching, they're hitting in a three hole and playing center field or shortstop, you know? So uh, these ideas that you're only a certain position is, is uh, not good. And the philosophy needs to change. You need to play all over and do all kinds of things. But yeah, I think Falefa comes to mind. And then uh, I would say early on my first year, I was told to go watch a kid in LA and ended up uh, his opponent alive. He was a left-handed bat, and his name was uh, Christian Yelich. So you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it turned out to be pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who's that guy? You know. Uh, those stories always come up. They're always good. There's always good scouting stories, but they don't come up all the time. So when they do, it makes for a you know nice, pleasant. I got my gold. You know, I found my gold today. As nice. uh, as the group. As the great Don Wilkie would always say, is that the greatest thing about scouting is because today you could catch a great, a great, uh, what do you say? Uh, a blue whale. A blue whale. Today, today might be the day you catch a blue whale.
Dude, that was cool. I, you know, it's great. Has to, I'm, I'm disappointed I missed the first conversation. Oh, man. Well, the first conversation was at the winter meetings. God, it seemed like a lifetime ago. Um, up on the second floor late at night, and it was just me and him and a recorder. And got half of that, you know, it, it's he, he's you know, he's a, he's a friend of the family, he, he's a friend of a he's a family of a friend. Sorry, um, so it took me a minute to kind of get like, dude, he's just a dude. Um, but I was certainly was a little more nervous talking to him back then, uh, than I was tonight or last night, that is. Um, but certainly it was an excellent interview, he's a great talk. Um, you know, he's not going to give you any organizational philosophy, but he's certainly going to give you tons of information and fun stories. Right. It's 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 very clear that the Padres have things locked down. I mean, you see that I mentioned Chris Kusiolik and he was all over the place on Twitter. And then it's just radio silence. Yeah. I'm sure that they tell everybody, OK, social media, you have to have, you know, yeah. no presence uh, because I mean, they're they're almost acting like spies. I, yeah. I, I mean, not that they're doing anything covert, everything they do is above the board, but you know, they, they have to keep a low profile. Yeah. Um, but man, what a fun conversation. And even after we stopped recording, he's like, he's telling us about Josh Mears and, yeah. and a couple other guys that we just, <laughs> we need to keep an eye on. And uh, yeah, I wanted to tap into that a little bit more. I, know, I, we I could have kept on we, talking for another hour with him. If we can wanted we, to can we record that, but it was 11 o'clock. Okay. Guys, I'm here in, I'm, I'm here in Connecticut. It was 11 o'clock here. And finally, uh, you know, I guess people were turning out the lights on me and I, you know, and I had to go. Uh, but we appreciate him taking the time with us, just like with everybody. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's kind of nice to be able to kind of peel back, peel back the onion as, yeah. as he said, um, and, and learn a little bit more of what, what they do and all the time that they put into scouting. You, you think that you, you imagine the guys just sitting there at the ballpark with the radar gun and their little notepad, but there's a lot more that they wind up doing. And I, I liked learning a little bit about, about that, about all the research they do into somebody's background and their, yeah. you know, their makeup and all of that. Absolutely. So I'm glad you guys enjoyed that. You can meet me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Go Padres. And I stand in Ukraine. Right. Go Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs>